The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. <clears throat> My husband Doug and I were in Nashville this week. We attended a concert of one of our favorite bands at the Ryman Theater, which is hallowed ground for music history and the birthplace of bluegrass music. Built as a church in 1899 by Captain Thomas Ryman, it hosted services and lectures and community events for years. When the Grand Ole Opry began running out of space in 1943, the Ryman Auditorium became the show's new home, projecting country stars like Minnie Pearl into living rooms across the United States. Bear in mind, Ryman Theater in Nashville is located in the solidly red state of Tennessee. Nashville, however, has always been an island of blue in that red state. Sound familiar? At least until earlier this year, when Tennessee's Republican legislature used redistricting to split Nashville into three separate congressional districts, costing the state a long-held Democratic congressional seat and diluting the city's voting power so that the Democratic residents in each district are now outnumbered by Republicans in the metro's outlying counties. This has set up an inevitable clash. Coronavirus had been a big flashpoint, as have issues like affordable housing initiatives, welfare programs, and policies affecting the LGBTQ community. So back to the concert, which, by the way, was on Valentine's Day. The band we saw <clears throat> is an alternative indie southern rock group, which in general attracts a flannel shirt-wearing, weed-smoking fan base. However, on one of the last numbers, the lead singer invited a local male vocalist to sing with him. The guest vocalist walked on stage wearing a giant pink ball gown and matching hat and sang a song with the band. Since our seats were in the back, I could see the number of cell phones that were recording the show slowly lower. 
The song finished, the guest vocalist exited the stage. However, <clears throat> as luck would have it, after the show, Doug and I went to Robert's Western World for drinks, and who do you think walked in but Guy in giant pink ballroom gown. I excused myself to go meet him. I asked him who he was and where he was from. He said, my name is Cameron, and I am from Makokata, Iowa. What, I said? Amazing, I am from Iowa. What made you leave Makokata? And he said, you mean besides the giant pink ball gown? And he said, I never felt safe at home. We chatted and hugged, and I returned to Doug, and I thought, this human feels like he has lived among the wild beasts. I had just reread the book of Mark on the flight to Nashville. I wondered, in Cameron's former life in Makokata, did he feel scared and hunted on stage that Valentine's night in a now politically divided Nashville in a deep red state? Did he feel targeted? It is true, many humans feel unsafe as they go about their daily lives. Black people, immigrants, women, people with special needs, homeless people, anybody who doesn't fit neatly into the upper middle class white male heterosexual norm. And I thought about John the Baptist, and I thought about Jesus. As a prophet, John exists on the margins of society, living in the wilderness, eating locusts and wild honey, dressing in camel's hair and a leather belt, which, although Mark points out John's attire as a way of identifying him as a prophet, sounds very chic to me. John is the voice of one crying out in the wilderness to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy, telling the people to prepare for the Messiah. He has mobs of followers, wildly popular, until one day he's arrested and imprisoned for calling out the king's immoral and adulterous marriage, and he's beheaded. But we don't learn that until five chapters later. Today we only learn that John has been arrested by those who wish him harm. We know he dies a violent and horrible death. So we know that John is well acquainted with the wilderness and with the wild beasts. John has learned to make the wilderness his home. But right before he's arrested, he baptizes Jesus. And then the Spirit of God immediately leads Jesus out into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan and is with the wild beasts for 40 days. Funny, isn't it, that as soon as John is plucked up from the wilderness, Jesus lands directly in it? Two short chapters later, authorities are already plotting to kill Jesus. It's almost as if God is trying to tell us something about the wilderness. Was John ever scared in the wilderness, I wonder? Was Jesus? Did Jesus <clears throat> hurl stones at the wild beasts? Did he hide from them? We don't know. But being human, we can assume he was scared. However, when we look at Jesus' entire life and ministry, we discover that he, in fact, spends his entire life in the wilderness. 
save for the company of his 12 friends who are more or less loyal, who spend much of their time arguing about who among them is the greatest, and who in the end abandon him altogether. It's almost like here in the first chapter of Mark, the Spirit of God takes the newly baptized Jesus into the wilderness to say, look around, you better get used to it. Make it your home. Jesus lives his life among the wild beasts, in fact. He lives his life among the demon-possessed who gnash their snarling teeth at him. He lives his life among the diseased and hungry who claw at him for healing and food. He lives his life among the religious authorities who sharpen their knives at the first opportunity to trap and destroy him. He lives his life among humans who are in it for themselves, not for him, who wish to brandish him as a trophy or emblem of their own agenda, which is why he begs for secrecy in the book of Mark, so that he can reveal himself and God's good news on his terms at his appointed hour not on our terms, according to our schedule. By the time Jesus is arrested and executed, he has grown all too familiar with life in the wilderness among the beasts. He has made the wilderness his home. But here's the thing about today's gospel. The Spirit of God joins Jesus at his baptism and never leaves him. The Gospel does not say that the Spirit drops Jesus off in the wilderness and picks him up 40 days later, like some sort of daycare. No, the Spirit never leaves Jesus and remains with him all the days of his life. It is the Spirit who gives Jesus the courage to face the demon-possessed, the compassion to heal the diseased and feed the hungry, the wisdom to face the challenges and traps hurled at him by the religious authorities, the strength to endure arrest and torture and death so that the good news of God could finally be revealed in the vulnerability of the cross. In God's way, in God's time, it is the Spirit of God who gives Jesus the very breath to finally cry out, it is finished. In baptism, Christians receive the same Spirit of God who leads us into the same wilderness to face the same wild beasts. Christians are called to do hard things. We are called to say hard things. The Spirit leads us into the wilderness to battle beasts who seek to diminish the value of human life, whether it be woman or man or somewhere in between, whether it be black or white or somewhere in between, whether it be rich or poor or somewhere in between. But the Spirit of God never ever leaves us just as she did not leave Jesus no matter what. When God makes a promise, which is exactly what baptism is, God never breaks it. We need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. We must learn to make the wilderness our home. Turns out, there's good company in the wilderness among the beasts. There's John in his fabulous camel's hair vest and leather belt. And there is Jesus. There is Martin Luther King Jr. 
who spent his life fighting the wild beasts of racism. There's Mahatma Gandhi, who spent his life fighting the wild beasts of British imperialism in India. There's Sitting Bull, who spent his life fighting the wild beasts of colonialism in America. There are countless women who gave their lives at burning stakes fighting the wild beasts of patriarchal religious oppression by people who labeled them as witches. There's Matthew Shepard, who was tied naked to a fence post on a freezing night in Wyoming and died in the wilderness as the wild beasts of homophobia, homophobia cackled and howled. There's good company in the wilderness. Indeed, the wilderness is crowded with saints who have gone before, and it is filled with the Spirit of God. <clears throat> I've been following the story of Alexei Navalny for years. You've been reading that in the news. I was crushed <clears throat> to learn of his death on Friday. Navalny was Vladimir Putin's most formidable opponent for years. As a lawyer, anti-corruption activist, and political prisoner, he fought for human rights in Russia. Last year, he was sentenced to 30 years in a penal colony in the Arctic Circle on charges of extremism. Friday, he was discovered dead after going out for his morning walk and being found suddenly unconscious. I don't know if he was baptized or not, having been born in 1976 in Soviet Russia, but he spent and he gave his life for his fellow Russians and Ukrainians by condemning Russia's political corruption and their invasion of Ukraine in 2022. In the wilderness, you encounter folks like Navalny, folks who lived and died for others. God calls all Christians into the wilderness where the wild beasts are waiting. Life in the wilderness always ends with death, whether that death be intentional or eventual. But that is exactly what Lent is all about. Staring death in the face and wondering, what in the world am I going to do with this one wild and precious life that God has given me, as Mary Oliver writes in her poem, The Summer Day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer agrees in his book, Life Together, that while Christ created community, he himself mostly lived outside of it, being lonely so that we would never have to be alone, <clears throat> bound together forever by the Holy Spirit of God. In the cost of discipleship, Bonhoeffer writes, when Christ calls a person to follow him, he bids that person to come and die. For the now, it is scary to be sent into the wilderness to live among the beasts. It is scary to be spirit-led in a world of wars and political imprisonment and injustice and oppression. It is scary to be a man wearing a dress on a stage in a theater full of strangers in a state that wishes you harm. It is scary to protest and demonstrate against totalitarian regimes. It is scary to proclaim God's love for all creation when some want only to hoard it as their own or weaponize it against others. It is scary to speak out, stand up, and speak truth to power. But this points to the vision that God lays out for us in our reading today from Genesis. After the flood, God promises Noah, my rainbow in the sky will be a reminder to you of the promises I make to you this day. Never again will I destroy the earth and its inhabitants. I make this promise to you and to every living creature that creeps upon the earth. 
the swimming fish in the ocean, the howling beasts in the wilderness, and the humans who live among them, that I am God alone. I am God of all species and orientations and identities. I alone am God of the oceans and the universe and the wilderness. I am the God of life. God intends for us to live harmoniously with one another and with creation, including wilderness and wild beasts. And while we are currently living most unharmoniously, with one another and creation, the Spirit of God herself will accompany us through every wilderness that we encounter, both personal and public, and defend us from every wild beast. Wild beasts might howl all around in the wilderness, but there is one who brings a new kingdom reality where the wolf lives with the lamb where the leopard lies down with the baby goat, where the calf and the lion live together in peace. This one is Jesus, born at Christmas, crucified on Good Friday, resurrected on Easter. Humans and beasts, then, are no longer enemies in Christ. One no longer devours the other, and men can safely wear dresses on stage, and children are no longer tied to fence posts and left to die in the cold. This harmony is God's intention. And the same Spirit of God who walked with Jesus Christ through all of his wilderness days will usher you through your life in the wilderness among the wild beasts. Christians are called into scary places to do and say difficult things. Turns out the wilderness is in fact a pretty crowded place. You have MLK and Dietrich, Mahatma and Matthew and Alexei Entire nations who have been erased, histories which have been deleted from books, humans who have been disappeared. In the wilderness, you encounter John the Baptist with his fabulous vest and belt. You encounter Jesus with his scarred hands and crown of thorns. And there you find the Spirit of God is ever by your side. Turns out the wilderness is full of friends and maybe isn't so scary after all. Amen.